It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the game World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. We're bringing you podcasts every match day of the World Cup after 10 o'clock UK time every night. It is match day five and Gareth Southgate's England have finally made their World Cup bow. In the studio with me, it is Mr. Matthews. Good evening. Good evening. Alison Rudd is an England fan abroad. She's in Kazan for The Times and joins us for her reaction. Has it warmed up now in Kazan? <laughs> it's a bit weird because when I last spoke to you I was shivering and today it was too hot <laughs> oh, you can't not that win. I'm a moaner or anything no no not at all not at all uh, we'll speak to you shortly uh, England's Group G rivals Belgium beat Panama Ian Hawkey will be with us later having watched that one in Sochi but we start of course with the three Lions Alison it was the talisman the captain Harry Kane who hadn't scored in a major tournament that got the goals for England then yeah, you could argue all Harry Kane did was score two extremely important goals, one of them quite beautiful, and get fouled the whole match. I've never seen anyone grappled so much. That's what's most impressive about him. The goals, obviously, he's, he's just got that knack, hasn't he? Consistency, season in, season out, and he's pulling it out the hat for England. But the fact that he didn't get angry, he didn't let it rattle him, he didn't get that sense of, oh, it's just not going to go for me tonight because I keep... I'm not getting the fouls given in my favour. He kept concentrating right up until the death. And that's a quality you want, A, from your centre-forward, from the, B, from the man you know will get you the goals, and C, from the man who's got the armband on. So um, he was Lord of the Flies. <laughs> uh, he certainly led from the front, Matt. Uh, and when you saw how dominant England were in, in the opening half an hour, and as well as the possession they had uh, in the second half, three points were a must, surely. Uh, well, it will certainly feel that way. And you saw the celebrations at the end, sort of mixture of relief as much as euphoria, really. Um, you know, as you say, the first 15 minutes was all England. Jesse Lingard could have scored two or three goals. But then we got a reminder that it's just never easy at a World Cup. It reminded me of the opening game of Euro 2016 against Russia, really, when England started really well, played an excellent first half, and then the second half they faded away, and obviously Russia equalised late on. Um, this time there was a twist of England scoring the late goal, and it deserved reward for their composure and their sort of resolve in sticking with the game plan rather than panicking. And, and Alison, Harry Kane had that knack, didn't he, of being in the right place at the right time twice from set pieces? 
it was an absolutely beautiful header from Kane at the end. I mean, headers from set pieces, they are arguably one of the most boring things about football, really. You sort of think, yeah, it's sort of very English and not very exotic. But actually, I could watch that a hundred times and not get bored. I thought it was really quite superb, really beautiful. And you didn't have much time to react when it came off Maguire. That goes down as one of the best headers I've seen in a long time, actually. Mm, yeah, it was beautifully crafted, like like you're sort of referring to. And in his final news conference, uh, Kane spoke about emulating Cristiano Ronaldo. It, and he certainly did deliver for England, didn't he, Matt? He did, and he should have had a penalty. So he could have had the hat trick that he was <laughs> talking about yesterday. Um, ironically, as Alison said, apart from the goals and being wrestled to the ground, he didn't actually get a lot of the ball as Tunisia defended very, very deep. Um, but it's, it's important for him to score his first goal in a tournament after having you know, a bit of a nightmare in, in France two years ago. And obviously there was all the stuff about him taking corners. Um, his recent record for England is actually excellent. I think it's 10 goals in eight games in his last eight games for England. So despite ending the season for Tottenham, not at his very best for England, he's been excellent. So it kind of augurs well for the remainder of the tournament. Let's talk about Tunisia's equaliser. England had dominated from very early on in that game, but then it was Carl Walker that considered a penalty 10 minutes before half-time. Uh, the referee seeing Walker putting out an arm uh, in the face of Ben Youssef. Uh, Alison, for you, was it a, a clear and obvious penalty? I don't think it was marginal enough for VAR, but the referee in charge of that game has a history of not using it. And within the new rules applied to VAR, he's entitled to ignore any voice in his ear. He doesn't have to listen to it. He, he can, he, if he wants to say to himself, I'm very confident I saw that correctly, he doesn't have to go and look at it again. Um, that was very important when they were devising how to use VAR, that, that, that they made sure the ultimate decision always rests with the referee. If I had been the referee, I would have wanted to see it again because it wasn't a clear swing of the elbow, but there was contact, there was overreaction. It's one of those marginal ones. I don't think it was ridiculous that it was given, but equally, if you decided not to, that would have been... It's just just on the cusp, it's on the cusp. And maybe if those things are on the cusp, then you shouldn't go to VAR because you could look at it it 50 times and not, you know, and not be 100% sure... Well, of course, Alison, you are a qualified referee. What about the unqualified referee, Matt? <laughs> what did you make of it? I'm distinctly unqualified, <laughs> but I did think it was definitely a penalty. You, mm. you know, you raise your arm, elbow in the penalty area, connect with someone's face. I don't think you've got any grounds to complain. It wasn't excessively violent, but it was just a bit, bit stupid. So I thought a penalty and a yellow card was the um, were the correct decisions. Any criticism about Carl Walker in, in how he was positioned? Because he was facing the goal. He wasn't facing the other way, which you'd expect from a centre-half to be doing. Yeah, he couldn't see the striker, could he? Um, which is maybe partly why he raised the arm to give himself a little bit of extra space. Um, I thought his positioning wasn't great for out, really. Uh, for all the Trippier played well on the right wing back and his, some of his crossing was excellent. I would worry about England's back three against you know, a more ambitious attacking team and... Um, you know, against Belgium in particular in the third game, they're going to they're, they're going to need Eric Dyer in there to to help them out because you know the way Belgium played against Panama, the clearly goals in that team and England's England's free centre half looked a little bit vulnerable. And Alison, you, you spoke about how Harry Kane had been 
jostled and wrestled around with by the uh, Tunisia players. Uh, was there a penalty involving him? If the referee had seen it, yes, you can't do that. And in the briefing before the World Cup, managers were told that referees had been briefed to, to be tough on grappling in the penalty area. But you can't have VAR intervening all over the place. It, that, you know, it wasn't as if he was on the ball at the time or about to score. It's something the referee missed, and it's disappointing he missed it, given that they've been specifically told to look out for it. Because if you're the referee, you can't, you've got to watch a lot of things going on when, when there's action in and around the box. You should brief your assistants to specifically keep an eye on it um, if you're not going to be able to spot those. So, yes, yes, there should have been a penalty. But I don't... I don't think it should have involved VAR because, again, at this stage, VAR is not supposed to be used just for any old incident that the referee doesn't see. Well, let me just bring you the thoughts of the Times columnist Mark Clattenburg. He said on Tunisia's penalty, that was a fair call. He said different rules seem to apply when Kane was bundled to the floor near the end of the first half. The referee wasn't looking at the incident, which is normal as a lot goes on at a corner. But the VAR not giving England a penalty retrospectively is a wrong call. It was a stonewall penalty, he says. Going forward in the tournament, he says FIFA need to have a think about when they are going to intervene. We've seen lots of good decisions, but the threshold for a clear and obvious foul seems very high. Do you agree then with what Mark's saying there, Alison? I think the reason the AR wasn't used in this instance is, and won't be in similar instances, is they've, they've sort of promised us that, that it's not going to be a World Cup dominated by VAR. And if you're not careful, you'll have things retrospectively awarded too often. And then this will become, it's already been a great World Cup, I think, but it will end up becoming the VAR World Cup. And that nobody wants that to happen. It already feels a bit like that because we've had three penalties given because of a VAR review. It's an off-the-ball incident. I can see why they're trying to just limit it slightly. But that's all about intuition and feel and trying to make sure that VAR doesn't dominate the World Cup. And it's loose. And therefore, you're going to get lots of people saying, why are they doing that? Why aren't they doing that? It's inconsistent. So I, I, I get it. But VAR is not, it's not supposed to dominate. It's not supposed to dominate. It's just supposed to help really clear and obvious either dangerous play or a goal being allowed when it was offside or something very clear like that. They're trying to stop sort of factual mistakes happening. Gareth Southgate has also confirmed that Deli Ali is going to have to go for a scan on a muscle injury. If he's to be ruled out of the next game or even the tournament, I mean, how, how big a blow will that be? It will be a blow. Um, he's, you know, one of England's most talented players. He's also, crucially, one of the few midfield players with a decent goal-scoring record. Not particularly for England, but for, for Tottenham. He's scored a lot of goals over the last couple of years and whilst Lingard, Loftus-Cheek, talented players, they, they don't tend to score as many goals um, so it will be a concern for England. Having said, and It's quite hard to judge him tonight because he got that knock quite early on and he didn't really perform and I thought when Loftus-Cheek came on he added energy and dynamism so he could be a, you know, an excellent like-for-like replacement but obviously Southgate would want Ali available throughout the tournament. Excellent substitutions um, were made by Southgate. Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Uh, well, I, I would say this because I thought he ought to have started anyway, but he, he, I think he, it would really be great if he started the next game because he's got that dynamism from the middle of the, the pitch. And Henderson does such a good job of knowing when to hang back and shield someone who wants to go forward from midfield. 
I think next they could be, be making of an excellent partnership. Let's go to Matt Dickinson, who is in the Volgograd arena. Matt, what did you make of that England performance this evening? Yeah, I think the, the positives much outweigh the, the negatives. I think the way they started was was excellent. Um, uh, as Alison says, you, you know, you've got a team that are young. We didn't know if they were going to come out and, and look fearful, look, suddenly look sort of youthful and, and look too raw. But actually, first 20 minutes, they were excellent bar the finishing, which, you know, we had flagged up as a potential problem. Yeah, the support around Kane, um, Sterling, Ali, Lingard, these guys do need to start chipping in with goals. And I think that's obviously one of the main um, issues sort of out of this game um, when we do sort of look at the, the flaws. But, you know, they they, they look like, as, as I said, a coherent team. They look like a team that had a, a plan, that know what the plan is, believe in it, are confident in it. Uh, there was some second half huffing and puffing at times. You know, the lack of just that little bit of sort of ingenuity, creativity to a team sitting back is, you know, another thing that will need to be to be looked at. But, you know, absolutely the, the, the positives outweigh, uh, obviously not least in the result itself, which will just feel like such a soothing night for the whole camp. Uh, we've been talking a lot about VAR, as you might well expect. What did you make of those potential decisions? Well, it's... it's, it's, it's... <laughs> It is complicated. I mean, you know, you, you isolate them and you can see why, hang on a minute, you know, certainly uh, of what I've seen, at least one of them, you think that that is a foul, that is a penalty offence. Um, at the same time, you know, we're still exploring the limits of this. If, you know, VR is going to go chasing every potential foul off the ball in, in and around the box at, at set pieces. We could be here all night. So it's it's. I, I certainly think that VAR on the instruction is not to go chasing those, and I sort of understand why because you know where you know, the, 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 the 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 whole system is built to sort of support referees from not making clangers, and you know to to you know if I get a, if I give a penalty and it's a horrible mistake, make sure it is it's corrected. So I I, I understand England's frustration, but I actually think people have to understand as we get to grips with this system why it doesn't chase every little off-the-ball incident. And, and how did England's attacking performance in the first half an hour sort of compare with some of the other teams that we've seen in this tournament? I, th- I think, you know, in, in, in the incisiveness, you know, the Carl Walker pass that set Trippier through, Jordan Henderson clipping through to Deli Alley, Deli Alley, beautiful reverse pass. Um, yeah, some of those are, you know, people will discuss the creativity, but if you've got those spaces to run into and a good movement, um, England did that excellently. You know, certainly when Tunisia would push back further in the second half, that almost created a bigger problem. It didn't, you know, we didn't manage to sort of turn the territorial dominance into as many chances, and that's say, something that will need, need discussing. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they came out like a, a team that's been superbly drilled, not just by Gareth Southgate, obviously, but Steve Holland as well. And it's Panama on Sunday f- for England, Matt. Who's done enough to keep their place in the side, do you think? There'll be discussion about, you know, especially against a team that will sit back even more, um, the overall shape. But, I, you know, I, I think he'll set up in a similar way. Um, and then it's a question of adapting. And Rashford, I thought, looked bright and sparky. I think Loftus-Cheek is going to push hard um, for a starting place, um, I think um, you know Lingard um, didn't play um, badly, but his 
the finishing is 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 obviously a theme a theme out of this. So I think you know I, I think Rashford is probably possibly the player that people are looking at, thinking you know in a game that we're going to dominate and, and need goals, how can he be deployed? And that's that's probably the main discussion. Is there a way of maybe switching to more of a three four three? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. You can hear live commentary of all of Tuesday's games on TalkSport and TalkSport 2, including Colombia versus Japan at 1 o'clock, Poland taking on Senegal at 4, and the clash between Russia and Egypt live from 7 o'clock on TalkSport. In England's group, it is Belgium who are top, having opened their account in Russia with a 3-0 win over the debutants Panama. Uh, Ian Hawkey from the Sunday Times joins us now from Sochi. Uh, so, Ian, uh, it was Panama's first World Cup match and despite the comfortable-looking scoreline, Belgium sort of found them hard to crack in the first half, didn't they? They did, yes. Um, I, and we'll try and give some credit to Panama for that because they, they did defend deep and they made it hard for Belgium, but there was just something about Belgium that just wasn't quite clicking. Um, they had good ideas, and it wasn't quite working out. And, um, you know, Panama, I, I think, I didn't fairly believe that they got through 45 minutes without conceding a goal, having waited, what, 45 years to get to a World Cup. Um, uh, but then, very quickly, we had a, a moment of brilliance from Dries Mertens, and Belgium visited relaxed after that and started playing their football and Panama got tired and a little bit rugged I think would be the the nicest way to describe it Um, and 3-0 is probably an inadequate reflection actually of uh, the gulping class between the two teams. Tell us a little bit about how special an occasion it was for Panama then. Oh um, well the fans fans were hearing huge numbers and um, you know needless to say they've all got stories about how they got here and um, and how exciting it was to, to be able to book their tickets after what was a very, very dramatic qualification. It all went down to the last moment, depended on results elsewhere. And I think there's probably a little bit of pride that uh, little Panama are here, basically in the place of big, enormous USA. Um, and they, they were doing all their stuff today in Sochi, which is, which is a very pleasant place to... To start your World Cup, it's a it, it's a resort really. Um, the weather's lovely, uh, the sea's just next door, and you'll be surprised to hear that a lot of people were putting on Panama hats for the occasion. <laughs> really? Um, they sang beautifully, and as as they passed half an hour without having conceded two goals, they started to think that this can be respectable. Um, I don't think they got beyond that, and, and I'm not even sure if their players much beyond that. A couple of breakaways, you could see panic setting in. Um, you know, they also bruised Belgium a bit, but we wasn't ever romanticizing too much. Eden Hazard took his usual flat, and, and I think they had five bookings by the end of it. 
Well, it is England next uh, for Panama. Uh, who does Gareth Southgate have to look out for it when they're preparing for this one? What I would say is that um, uh, Romelu Lukaku scored two goals, which uh, is great for him, and he's very happy about that afterwards. Um, Romelu Lukaku at half-time would have been a very, very frustrated man. They've got a couple of big, strong centre-halves. Um, Roman Torres is very distinctive. Um, he's, a, he's a big man with lots of dreadlocks, and he was the hero of qualifying Panama for this World Cup. Um, and, and, you know, he's good in the air. You know, he, nobody's going to outmuscle him. Um, so, you know, I think high crosses won't necessarily have, have much of a dividend against Panama. That would, I, that would be something that they're, they're pretty good at dealing with. Um, the fullbacks looked very, very uneasy today. Uh, Michael Murillo on the, on the right and uh, Eric Davis on the left. I think England will be able to get behind them. They've got some creativity in midfield. There's um, a player called Annabel Godoy showed some nice touches today. Um, and if they get forward enough, some of these people might be able to pick into the box late. Um, they really haven't got much up front. And, and there's, um, there's, there's quite an alarming run being built up now. They've scored one goal in their last six games now. And that was against Trinidad. So, um, yeah, they, they need some... Uh, they need some magic up front if they're going to, to threaten England at all, which, which I think looks, looks unlikely. Mm. I think England sh- should be aiming for getting towards parity with Belgium on, on goal difference. I know that sounds perhaps a little bit uh, arrogant and you have to be careful first, but uh, they're very limited. And they're also they're quite a, they, they tired a bit today. That's what uh, Gareth Southgate will have to look out for. And of course, then the final game is Belgium. And we know all about the quality of the Belgian side. That Dries Mertens goal, the Kevin De Bruyne assist for Romelu Lukaku's first goal, Matt. I mean, it's a side obviously full of quality. It is. And I was also impressed with the way they kind of kept playing and were patient in the first half when it didn't, things didn't go quite their way early on. Um, you can't help but sit back and think that this group is really, you know, set up nicely for England, isn't it? I mean, I thought. Although they made hard work, I thought Tunisia were very poor tonight, and you know Panama, obviously their ranking is far inferior. And given the way they played against Belgium, England should have no real problem. Then it should set up a kind of you know winner takes all clash to see who who wins the group. So um, if, if you're looking, if you're Gareth Southgate over the next few days planning training to place Panama, you, I, you know you're going to be pretty confident. The game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. We'll be giving you a Times trivia teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by the inimitable Bill Edgar. We asked you which member of Germany's squad at this World Cup was born on the day West Germany beat Argentina in the World Cup final in 1990. Well, the answer is Paris Saint-Germain goalkeeper Kevin Trapp, who was born on the 8th of July 1990, as Lothar Matthäus was lifting the World Cup for West Germany. What a day it was for the Trapp family. Bill's question for you today. Which team, managed by English-born John Adshed, faced Scotland at the 1982 World Cup? Tricky one. Tune into our next podcast to find out the answer. 
Sweden won for the first time in their opening match since 1958 as they beat South Korea 1-0 through a VAR-assisted penalty. Uh, it was a game they probably deserved to win, but the way in which the penalty decision came about was when South Korea were counter-attacking. The referee had to pull playback once VAR had reviewed a foul by Kim Min-woo. Now, it certainly was the correct decision, Matt, with VAR helping out the match official who had missed the incident. It was. Um, the debate will be how long it took to get to the final decision. and it was, Yeah, that's a kind of murky ground. Around. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, this system has only been used for a year, including the trials, really. Obviously, it was trial at Confederations Cup last summer. This is the first major tournament it's been used in. Um, and we're still really not sure about how it works. In other sports, it's sort of very clear in cricket, the sort of 15 seconds rule, isn't there, that a captain can challenge a decision, whereas VAR seems bit more open-ended and as you say the referee had played on such an extent that South Korea had a goal-scoring opportunity themselves almost if if, if they'd have scored it'd have been well, very intriguing been to see what would have happened yeah they would have been um, quite happy so I I don't know I guess it's, it sort of demonstrates why it's been a risk and a danger to use the use the VAR at such a high-profile event without adequate trialing and testing because I think ultimately they, they, they need to have you know a rule 30 seconds or something a finite cut off and also they, maybe they need to have a as we were discussing earlier with Matt Dickinson about the Harry Kane foul you know how far away from the ball can you go to look for extra things these things they'll probably evolve over time Tuesday night sees Russia against Egypt Matt that feels like such a pivotal game in Group A, a must-win game, I guess, for Egypt, and potentially a victory for Russia could see them into the round of 16. Yeah, it should do, really. So there's something on it both both sides. Um, you would think Mo Salah would play at some stage, having um, sat out Egypt's first game when they were kind of, you know, cruelly beaten in the end by Uruguay. Um, and Egypt need him, don't they? They didn't really offer an awful lot against Uruguay, defended very stoically and took advantage of an off day from Suarez and Cavani missing chances. Are you surprised that Hector Cooper didn't bring him on or do you think he was just holding him back perhaps for this game? Well, it looked to me as if they were trying to get a point um, against Uruguay in anticipation of beating Saudi Arabia and then trying to beat Russia to qualify. Um, and it you know, obviously didn't quite work. Bear in mind, it's only... What is it? Two and a half, three weeks since he dislocated his shoulder, so um, he hasn't had much recovery time. Kind of barely, barely played any football at all in, in training. Um, so maybe they just thought it was it was it was a, a risk too far. As for Russia, they certainly dealt with the pressure as being hosts. They did it in some style in that opening game, so they'll be going into this full of confidence. Yeah, they were, and they've obviously got the whole nation behind them now. From speaking to people over there, they're sort of enthusiasm for the tournament is, is, has taken them by surprise I think as we've probably heard from Wally Kay and people who've been been at the Russia games um, and if they can if they can win tomorrow then then, then they're, they're free and they've probably surpassed expectations uh, We're also going to have our first viewings of the teams in Group H as Poland face Senegal and Colombia take on Japan we're going to see some high profile players in action Robert Lewandowski making his World Cup debut Sadio Mane will be in there James Rodriguez who was the Golden Boot winner uh, last time as well so a lot of big names to look out for A lot of big names and potentially England's round of 16 opponents as well um, those groups are paired together um, and it's I think it's an open group really isn't it Obviously, Poland with Lewandowski up front, you you would think possibly favourites to go free, but people have 
a lot of people have tipped Senegal to be um, Africa's strongest team, and African nations have lost every game so far. Um, so it's a big opportunity for them. And you know, Hamez, he sort of really sort of emerged onto the global stage, didn't he, four years ago with that amazing goal in Maracanã. Hasn't worked out for him quite well since he moved to Madrid and Bayern Munich, but um, clearly a very talented player. And the Colombian fans are always um, always worth watching. They bring colour and vibrancy wherever they go. So um, it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. One other bit of news to bring you from Russia, if you missed it. Croatia have sent the former Blackburn striker Nikola Kalinic home after he reportedly refused to come on as a substitute in their victory over Nigeria, meaning Croatia are now down to a 22-man squad. That is it for now. Many thanks to my guests, Matt Hughes, Matt Dickinson, Alison Rudd and Ian Hawkey. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. For a limited time only, it is just a pound a month for your first three months. Search The Times Sale for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. We'll be back on Tuesday after the host Russia take on Mo Salah's Egypt in that huge huge match in St. Petersburg and we'll be joined by Henry Winter. See you then. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.